James. Duncan. How are you, dude? I'm well, thanks. It, it, it seems like it just gets more interesting by the day. <laughs> interesting because you don't want it to be interesting. <laughs> so it's kind of like, I would, um, boredom is the problem you have when you have no other problems. And I wish to be bored. Um, so oh, yeah, I think it's been a hectic 2020. Parent hack of the of the century. Whenever my child comes into the room and says, "Dad, I'm bored," I just get out out of my seat. I'm like, "That's fantastic! I'm so glad. I'm so happy for you <laughs> to be bored in this day and age." So <laughs> she, it, 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 she goes she goes away very quickly. All right, welcome to Cloud Streaks, where James and I talk about a topic. Um, today's one is called motivated reasoning. Um, we'll link to a Scientific American article, which is the kind of inspiration for this. But very quickly, science, uh, motivated reasoning is what social scientists call the process of deciding what evidence you accept based on one's preferred conclusions. So effectively, you already have your conclusion decided, and then you selectively data mine the evidence you want to get the outcome you want. So you're not actually taking your evidence to make conclusions. You're doing the opposite. Your conclusions are driving your evidence. Hmm. Right. So this is, uh, to me, a continuation of an episode we've done earlier on why facts don't change our minds. Uh, and so uh, the the inspiration for this particular uh, conversation was how uh, the coronavirus response um, highlights humans to dismiss facts like that don't fit their worldview. Mm. And, and so when you look at the... Um, who is the top COVID advisor in the US, Anthony Fauci. If I Fauci. that correct. Fauci. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, he's like one of the most famous people on earth right now. And you yeah, mispronounce yeah. his name? Come on, no, dude. Because I just read. I don't watch the news. <laughs> oh, I believe it's an Italian name and the, and the double C is pronounced Che. But, you know, it, uh, in, so Fauci. Um, whereas if he was in English, one would be Fau, Fauci or whatever you yeah. said. <laughs> yeah. Fauci. Yeah. Fauci. 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 <laughs> So what he's so, so he 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 has um he's gone on the record and to blame the country's ineffective pandemic response to this mm. anti science anti science bias, uh, mm. which he calls inconceivable because science is truth, um, <laughs> <laughs> but um it it just opens us back up into this world of where we are confronted with this apparent human condition where we do not accept or we refuse to accept um, what appears to be in, indisputable right there in front of us. And so it's, it's really fascinating to try and understand why. Mm. Um, so one of the sort of things uh, we've, we did before was Tim Urban's um, Way But Why, The Story of Us series. And in that, he talks about different ways of thinking. So thinking like a scientist is meant to be the sort of most clear-headed way. And then thinking like a zealot is the sort of least clear-headed way. Um, and I think that you're not one category or the other. Um, on a good day, I might hopefully think like a scientist, and on a bad day, I'm a bit zealotish. But if you look <laughs> on average, politics is an area where someone might, oh, yeah, okay, I'm going to pay attention to eating well. You know, I, I, that's cool. It says to not eat chocolate the whole time. But then when you get to politics, they might not necessarily think with the same sort of clear-headed science, uh, evidence-based way. Um, and I think there's a number of reasons for this. Um, and... Politics, for better or worse, is wrapped up with the coronavirus right now. And I think that's one of the reasons why there's a huge amount of, uh, you know, well, I saw a poll, 50% of Americans say that they won't take the vaccine. I don't know how accurate that poll is, just one poll, which is ridiculously large. Um, and I think it's a second order outcome of politics right now. 
Mm. So this brings us back to this the semblance of motivated reasoning. So what this means is basically it's a mechanism people commonly use uh, to preserve a favorable identity. And uh, I don't know about you, Duncan, but like I, for one, even after I appreciate this phenomena that uh, you know human beings are not exactly entirely rational, I would have thought a common enemy, like a <laughs> a, a emotionless deadly um indiscriminate foe to all human um, beings would unite us on this but it just has also allowed itself to be in like highly politicized in terms of how people approach the coronavirus or COVID-19 I should say. Hmm. So one of the sort of ways I think about the world is in concentric circles so there's yourself then there's your tribe then there's your political party then there's your country, and then there's the world. So they sort of get bigger and bigger, and you're the sort of middle one, really tiny. Um, and one of the things I think is that you're not necessarily taught to consider the different uh, concentric circles. So for instance, school's pretty much a single-player game. Just worry about getting good grades for yourself. Um, and then in politics, it's your political party. Uh, you know, what, what? worry about, you know, your political party sort of things. Um, and so to me, this is an interesting thing. Political parties kind of want you to pick a team and then you are not allowed to switch teams ever, right? And you need to root, not think. So which team is it? Uh, And the other side is evil. This is another one of Tim Urban's political Disneyland. They're trying to demonize them and split them. And so if you are optimizing for your political party, you don't want people to think about what's the best thing for the country. You want to think about what's the best thing for your political party. Um, And so to me, this is really, really interesting. I don't think that I used to consciously think, well, am I considering everyone? I used to just think, oh, that makes sense. And it made sense for a certain part of the concentric circles. But if you look at the whole world, it maybe it didn't make sense. Mm. Mm. So this, this kind of comes back to, so, um, firstly, I, I really love the, the idea of concentric circles plays into um, Tim Urban's emergence towers as well. Um, and when you when you contrast that to how you're thinking, whether more like a scientist where you want to have, you know, falsifiable uh, evidence versus a zealot who basically thinks a certain way and everyone is not only wrong but morally evil for thinking otherwise. You overlay that with what level are you thinking at, right? Am I thinking at the individual level, like I am purely out for what is in my own best interest? Or am I thinking at the or at the tribal level? Uh, and so in, in the article where they talked about motivated reasoning, they touched back on the concept where you and I have discussed earlier around how ancestors evolved in smaller groups, where cooperation persuasion had much less to do with, uh, you know, reproductive success, um, as opposed to holding accurate factual beliefs around the world. So you can see how <laughs> thinking at the tribal level has a lot, has a very, very compelling sense of motivation for the human brain that hasn't evolved fast enough to, you know, be more responsive in today's world where our tribe is, you know, global. Like we, we are looking more like a global citizen or a citizen of the US or Australia rather than just a group of 150 other people. Yeah. So if you think about it from a sort of level, political parties are not for the optimal of that country. They're for themselves. (laughs) They're not necessarily for the optimal of the world. They're for themselves. And some of the leaders might be trying to think not just about the left or the right, but the country, but some of them are not. And so I think one of the roles of the president or the leader of a country is to set a moral example. 
And so they can be like, is it just for me? Is it just for my tribe? Is it for my political party? Is it for the country? And is it for the world? And I think that you saw, for instance, John McCain, um, when he was speaking to a, a Republican supporter who said that Obama was not born in the country. He said, no, no, he is. He's a patriot. And then you see Donald Trump saying the Bertha thing. He's not born here. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I, I think um, Donald Trump has basically only really been after himself. That's the most important thing, himself and his re-election. And he has made it morally okay to basically not think about looking after other people, not the common good of America or the world. Um, another one, America first, America first. Um, and so if this is the case, then you're thinking, okay, well, what's the optimal way to get people to vote for your tribe? Um, and this isn't necessarily doing the right thing. I think an example of that is anti-science, which you can sort of get into in a minute. But I think it's really bad. Um, Trump has effectively had a lot of people think more about themselves or their tribe than the country or the world. Mm. I'll, I'll go one step further and, and um, posit that he's not, uh, like he certainly made us regress in, certain, in many ways, but he's not just made people think about themselves, but he's made people identify other people as the enemy rather than someone with a opposing point of view. Mm. Right, like you, you think about making America great again. You think about um, how he labels um, mm. opposition as like the crazy Dems or uh, witch hunt and all these other. I can't even think of all of them. But it's it's really creating this adversarial type, um, you know, uh, uh, environment where it it stirs people up to become even more convinced in their own, I guess, way of thinking because now you know, the survival um, instinct has kicked in again. Like when you think about um, us versus them, I would, I, would, uh, I would think that you're thinking in more of a survivalistic mentality, which means that you are far less likely to be open to new ideas or opposing ideas. And that's a really good point. Um, I, I, I believe that typically political parties both want the best for the country, that it's got different ideas about how to do it. So, for mm. instance, one might think that immigration is good for the country and one might think that more immigration is bad. Now, one doesn't want the country to get worse and one wants the country to get better. But I think someone like Trump is not saying, well, they've got a different idea and I think their idea may need, doesn't have some flaws and here's what you need to think. It's they're evil. They want the country to be worse. So I think they've both got the same goal, helping the country. But Trump has done his level best to try to label them as you know evil. And so he is a master divider. Um, and I think some of the best politicians have been master uniters. Um, so I think FDR was a good uniter. Um, I think, I don't know, Angela Merkel is a good uniter, etc. Um, and he is, I think, doing a really good job of being bad. <laughs> it's like not good. <laughs> I would agree with you on that. Um, and it's something else that um, I don't know if he fully <laughs> appreciate, but he certainly um, seems to have tapped into. Um and that is that the theory of motivated reasoning builds on a key insight from modern neuroscience. So the, the paper that I read um, uh, leading up to this where it posits that reasoning isn't actually diametrically opposed to emotion. It's not like um, they're entirely independent of each other, but rather reasoning is suffused with emotion. Um, and they're actually inseparable. And when you think about it in that way... In what, James? Inseparable. Inseparable. Not inseparable. inseparable. <laughs> in 
your word should be separated from the, the bad parts of it. <laughs> so because James reads a lot, you know, in my opinion, has good thoughts, uh, but he doesn't speak nearly as much as he reads or, or listen. And so he knows what these words are and what they mean, um, but he doesn't necessarily pronounce them right. So it's funny. You're saying something intelligent in an unintelligent fashion. So you're kind of like weirdly doing yourself a disservice. It's hilarious. Yeah. And the worst thing is I'm sure that I've said things to people with so much confidence and conviction. They're like, <laughs> I didn't know that's how you pronounce inseparable. Maybe he's right. Yeah, God. <laughs> I do it too. So I'm assuming that that could be wrong. All right. Sorry. Keep well, I, no, I'll go with the inseparable. Like it certainly, yeah. that seems like how it would be spelled. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, the, the neuroscience, um, you know, discoveries around, so, you know, positive negative feelings arise in our brains much more rapidly than our conscious rational thinking, right? So, you know, survival instinct, there's a rustle in the bush, you need to be able to um, go straight into fight or flight before you actually go, hmm, could that be a saber-toothed tiger? I wonder, let me, you know, think of this for a second. Um, and so what uh, evolution has required for us to do in, in terms of reacting very quickly to stimuli in our environment, that that suffuses our rational thinking. So this is kind of the similar uh, element here I'll talk about with Trump is that he kind of stokes this emotional, um, uh, you know, trigger in our, in our brains. And then that overlays any rational thought that you would have that follows it. Well, I think just saying on Trump being good at being bad, He's he's able to communicate little things like, like evil. What was it? Evil Hillary. I can't remember this. Or like energetic Jeb. You know, uh, just really succinct things. So, um, <laughs> basically, yeah. he can speak to the broad populace in a really visceral fashion to sort of you know get a sort of slogan around something. And so he's able to. Whereas I don't know some really heavy policy wonk that's you know super in the detail may be able to say something that makes a lot of sense, but others, you know, I don't know, if you don't know enough about it, this like sounds like gibberish. So he's able to communicate in a way that divides people really well. Like he'll make a sort of really sort of simple, clear way of, of oversimplifying something, and then this just causes division. Mm. Um, so I do think he's a good communicator, unfortunately, just at making, dividing people. And maybe if you use those powers for good, it, it could be different. But I think all else net net, he just cares about himself more than anything else. Not about America, mm. not about the Republican Party, about himself. Uh, maybe his family, you know. Uh, and that this is often at the detriment of others. So, you know, it's bad. Yeah. So um, uh, the, the quote I was looking for earlier that I really like is, we apply fight or flight reflexes not only to predators, but data itself. And so... It's not just Trump that's really interesting, but it's everyone around him, whether you talk about it like being Fox News, um, you know, people in the White House um, or anyone who generally supports Trump and how they can create their own, quote, alternate facts <laughs> based on what everyone else sees to be, you know, in, in inherently obvious. Right. So let's just do an, an easy one, which was the call with the Ukraine now to a lot of people, it seemed quite obvious he was asking for a quid pro quo. But this same data that was presented to people that then that also have in this back of their minds, like, no, Trump is a good human or he's a he's a good president. That now starts to conflict. 
And so what the um, you know what um, what Charles Tabor of Storybrooke University says is that this is a response to new information that the brain starts to actually rationalize, not reason. Uh, and so the the analogy he says is that we don't actually think like scientists; we think like lawyers. And so when you get presented with information like Trump was talking to the president of Ukraine trying to get dirt on Joe Biden, he wasn't doing it for his own selfish political gain. He was doing it because he wanted to protect America from a potentially corrupt politician. So I'd say that hopefully over your life, you should slowly develop or get a little wiser each day. Um, And so initially, you might be sort of what is motivated reasoning. Uh, selecting your facts to confirm to whatever you want to believe. But yeah. slowly, hopefully over time, you get a bit better at reasoning and you get a bit better at fighting your Im- impulses for tribalism, etc. Um, and you can then sort of see this. So I think society is slowly, you know, getting better. Um, well, But I think Trump is on a level best at like actually regressing it from people thinking in a strategic scientific fashion and thinking more in a zealotish fashion. And so he's been really good at moving it backwards, um, which... Is not great, um, and I think you can see you know, unrest and protest as, as a possible outcome. Not saying the only thing, but I think he's helped make that that way. So one thing I thought I'd sort of add on top of this quickly is just a bit of context. Um, so America was a mainly Christian country and still is, but there used to be that how you got voting to occur, or one of them was Protestants versus Catholics, and I believe the very first president who wasn't a Protestant was JFK. And people said that they would never have a president of the United States that wasn't a Protestant. And then this happened. And then as the percentage of people in the United States declined who have strong religious affiliations, it didn't used to be that you could have all the Protestants on one side and and you could get a a president elected. And then the sort of Christian people said, hang on, we've got more in common with each other than these atheists. Let's go and bandy together. So now you don't really see the difference between the evangelicals and the Catholics and the Protestants. They're all sort of the same Christians. Um, And one of the things that they were able to do to get these people to vote is, for instance, some unscrupulous people, just like with uh, the uh, smoking, said, well, they don't, you know, God will never let his people, uh, you know, die. So climate change is not real. And so if you want to then have people allowing coal, etc., we're going to use the fact that they don't, they think creationism happened. So they basically found a story which resonated to get people to vote. And so one of the things this has done is it's sown mistrust in science. And they did this specifically to get elected. <laughs> and it's got a second order consequence of I don't trust vaccines as an example. Mm. Mm. You would think if, the, if all of the different factions of Christianity can band together against a common enemy, (laughs) uh, being atheism, then you you would at least hope that the rest of human society could do the same for a deadly human virus. But we'll have to wait for this to play itself out. Um, (laughs) I think this is really, really interesting in terms of, okay, so we, we can see something here that plays against our identity, you know, and so whether that would be something that's bad for human society, Let's not even bring up the floods in Noah's Ark. But that at least allows people to, um, you know, band together around a, a common idea. And what was, um, what's, what's really interesting was a similar example where they talk about the Seekers. So I don't know if you've heard about them, but uh, this was a group led by um, Dorothy Martin, a Dianetics devotee who talked about um, the end of the world was coming. 
Uh, and so they had this complete and utter devotion. They sold all of their worldly possessions. They went and followed this person uh, and they they were convinced that the world was ending on December 21st, 1954. Sure enough, when that date came and it passed, you would think with this evidence being presented like indisputable evidence suggesting that the world had not ended, maybe this had all been, you know, a, a crock of, uh, you know, crap they would come to pass and realize that but actually what happens is they double down and turn this into a belief that the prophecy itself had saved them from the prophecy so the the point i'm getting here is that even when people who are presented with something that completely um conflicts with their identity they will find a way for it to actually reinforce it hmm um, so I think this is part of what they're trying to do with political parties, create their identity. Um, and then they want you to pick a team, uh, and then you're not allowed to switch teams and they create certain stories around that. So again, m much more of the religious Christians are a part of the, you know, Republicans as an example. Um, and they don't necessarily believe in, uh, evolution as an example. And so they're very skeptical of science to begin with. And they were able to use this to say, okay, well, coal and global warming are not a thing. And so then unscrupulous, you know, coal lobbyists then warp this natural skepticism that's built in because they've got a more religious look bent to try to mean that they don't have regulation against coal and they can make money. But the second order outcome of this is now that people have been told vaccines don't make sense. So... We're basically in, in the throes, if you look at this, um, slowly over time, the percentage of people that are religious has been declining. And it's meant to be sometime this, sort of, you know, the next five to 10 years, that it's going to be very difficult in the US to win an election based on religion because the percentage of people that would vote for those things has declined to the point. And so this is kind of like one of the last gasps of where, you know, maybe in the next 10 years, you can have religious things win elections. Uh, you know, for instance, I don't know, creationism. So it's really interesting that an, an unintended or maybe not unintended, but a second order consequence of trying to get people to vote for a party was having, this is related, related to religion. And then people used that to say science skepticism so that they could have their coal not be, you know, carbon tax. And now that's turned into, I don't like science at all. And vaccines are evil. <laughs> and so now the percentage of people in America that won't get a vaccine 50 years ago was minimal. And now it's apparently 50%. And so this is a weird outcome of politics, if you ask me. One of the major drivers of this is politics. So, so this was something that I was, I was trying to get my head around, and I haven't really come to a place where it makes a lot of sense. But so we're talking about how there is this phenomenon where you know people confronted with what would otherwise seem to be uh, irrefutable evidence, uh, you know, refuse to take that on as it you know, conflicts with their identity, right? So that people don't believe the facts they're presented with if it conflicts with their sense of self or um, belonging to a tribe. But now you go to the other end of the spectrum, you know, to take this vaccine example, and it seems like there's also this widespread phenomenon where people will be utterly convinced of an idea, or in this case, a conspiracy, where there is no evidence to suggest otherwise, well, to suggest the case. Uh, and so it's, it's this, this 
really, really fascinating opposing um, dichotomy between like, well, I will not accept this this fact because it doesn't play into my identity, as opposed to, well, vaccines are bad based on, you know, very, very shonky science, but I'm going to believe that instead. I think this is a second order outcome. It's kind of like, um, so inequality in America has gone up. That's not necessarily the case for places like Australia. Um, so the inequality in Australia is very vastly different, but people in Australia think it's the same because we get fed US news. Very vastly. But effectively, um, what's happened is that as inequality has gone up, people have believed in the elites less. Um, and that's because, uh, you know, the average person is, you know, not doing as well as the elites. And so they just don't like them. Mm-hmm. And that means anything you say, I don't, I don't agree with. Mm-hmm. And part of this is like, well, scientists or, you know, professors or whatever else it is. And so a second order outcome of, well, science is wrong is that vaccines aren't right. And then you're actually allowed from this to just believe whatever you want. There's no evidence at all, but it's kind of like, well, this elite person here said that they were making the economy better and they made it worse. They're just looking after themselves, weren't they? They're rich and I'm poor. And this person says about science, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so you get this like spiraling effect of where it's more and more permissible to be able to think things which just fit whatever you want. And it's kind of another weird outcome of inequality. If everything was good, you're like, yeah, these people that have helped, now I'll listen to them. But they've demonized them. And so it's really funny, like what you're talking about conspiracy theory. I think whilst you say there aren't necessarily facts or whatever, it is sort of the same. The percentage of people who believe vaccines are crap is a conspiracy theory, right? Uh, It's just a different one, you know. And this is going up everywhere. And one of those things is politics driving it, but another one is inequality, if you ask me. Hmm. Well, there's a a third one as well um, when it comes to conspiracy theory. So like, yeah, let's not think, well... Um, unless there is another alter, alterating motive, but like, let's remember <laughs> that alterating. Sorry, I should stop picking you up on this. <laughs> oh, don't worry, Duncan. You're very vastly on the point there. No, I'm sure. Like, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what the word is meant to be? Which one? Alternating. Yes. Oh, you didn't. Got I, I thought you said alterating, as in you're alter, not alternating. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Um, perhaps I only heard that wrong. Um, yeah. So yeah, but I thought you said alterating. Okay. So so on. so one of the origins of vaccines as a conspiracy theory is that. Um, you know, there's this evil government or um, hidden power that wants to control you or that wants to control the world population and that vaccines are actually bad because they put all of these quote-unquote heavy metals in your body or other things that could, um, you know, make you autistic, etc., etc. So it it's based on a presupposition that there is this evil force, this evil hidden, hidden force in the world that's trying to control the human uh, population. So what I'm getting at here is that there's this um, what and so what we're witnessing now with COVID, uh, so people are now confined to their homes, uh, people are losing their jobs, life is getting a little bit harder at the moment. A little bit might be a little bit of a soft word. Um, life is much harder, mm. and when life gets harder, one of the things they found that um, the human brain likes to do is to uh, create a um, a personification of who is responsible for my life being hard, right? So there is a, there's a virus going on right now, but we, we want someone to blame. And so this is something else that kind of plays into this mindset of being rational versus being emotional, where if, if times get tougher, I need to have an enemy that I can blame my life getting harder on. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so the way I'd sort of talk about this is learned helplessness versus learned help yourselfness. 
Oh, uh, so learned hopelessness is that things are bad and it's not my fault. And learned hopelessness is well, things are bad and I can do something about it. And I think I've talked about this in the past. It's much easier sell. Your life's not good. It's not your fault. Somebody else did this. Your life's bad. You need to try a bit harder. Now, it, it's often a bit of both. But if you ask me, um, Trump and Sanders are both learned to help yourself. Trump says that it's immigrants that are the problem and the government's the problem. And Sanders says that... We need to have government help you out. This is, you know, what, what's happening. And so to me, they're, they're alluring and easy to vote for because life's not good. And if you vote for me, I'll make your life good. And perhaps there are certain things that the government can help with, but I don't think the government can give you a good life per se. You need to put into part of it. So the government can stop you from having a good life, but it can't actually give you a good life. And so this is another example where I think that Trump and Sanders, which was sort of populist uh, sort of thing, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> picked easily resonating stories that meant they got voted but weren't necessarily the best way to actually improve the world. Mm. Vote for me and all your problems go away. I'll solve them. It's probably not that simple. <laughs> um, whereas if you voted for, like, I don't know, Mitt Romney or for Hillary, it's like, okay, well, part of it we need to do is government, but part of it you need to get on your own feet and you need to work hard and all this other jazz. Um, and so that's not nearly as easy to vote for. Um, we will give you free you know, education for everybody. Great. Well, how do we fund that? And is it actually possible? No, free education for everybody. If you have a free education, have a great life. And so uh, it's much easier sell. Mm. Yeah, I, I wrote, when you speak, I won't remember what you said, but I will remember how you made me feel. Yeah, my own yeah. And um, like, I, I, I definitely take this point that um, you know, it's much easier sell when Trump has this, you know, let's make America great again, and so I alone can fix this, right? So your life is hard, it's, it's not getting any better, so you need to vote for me because then I will make life better. Uh, as opposed to Sanders where it's, you know, life is unfair and it's the billionaire or the, you know, the billionaire class that's to blame. Or if it's not them to blame, then it's like, it's them that we need to, you know, get to pay their fair share so that everyone else can have more of the pie. Uh, and, and so that's why it's, I, I feel it's so alluring because they kind of like create this other identity out there that, you know, is if they're not the cause of your problem, then they're the, um, they're the barrier to you having a better life as opposed to what you suggested, which is like, well, maybe we should just have, you know, good governance <laughs> um, also, um, you know, underpinned with people going out there and making something for themselves as well, which is a lot harder for you to sell. Mm. Um, another one um, which I think has sort of played into an overly simplistic narrative. So Republicans would say they're the party of small government, you know, and so government is the problem. Government is not the solution, Reagan. And Democrats or, or the left are more the party of government can help. Um, to me, this is an overly simplistic outcome. Good government, good. Bad government, bad. Um, and so the government helping in some ways makes sense. I don't think we want no government. Then you have anarchy, right? But you don't want 100% government, which is communism. And then you, you've seen, I don't know, anywhere that they've tried it. Communism sounds good, but wherever they've tried it, it hasn't worked well. And I would argue that whilst, whatever, America or Australia is not perfect, that it was better than USSR or communist China or North Korea as an example. Um, and so to me, this is again another story which they've used. Government is the problem. And so then when the government says in America, well, you have to do social distancing and we're going to have to give you vaccines, they're already pre-programmed that that doesn't make sense. And this is another way for them to sort of want to go against the grain. And so to me, 
this overly simplistic tribalist like you know view which has been a good way to get people to vote for you is having all these in my opinion second order negative consequences we want to try to lift people's reasoning not try to get them to vote as much as possible and yeah trump again is really detrimental here really mm. detrimental so this kind of like i feel like comes back to those concentric circles that you were talking about earlier yeah. uh, and and getting people to think at different levels because i think you were saying like um you know, if you are purely aligned to a political party, let's say Democrats and Republicans, then, you know, it's just, you know, you're thinking at the political level, you know, Democrats bad, Republicans bad, but it might be where we try and help lift people up, you know, like what Barack Obama used to try and say, we're not the red states or the blue states or the purple states, but the United States of America. So stop thinking like a Republican or a Democrat for a second and think like an American instead. And if we can do that, then that will hopefully, um, you know, change the way in which people identify themselves as purely aligned to one political party and then start thinking of like, hey, we're all actually in this together. Like, if, if we don't all succeed, then, you know, if, if you don't succeed, I don't succeed more, more so. Yeah. Um, so I, I think we can sort of do better. Uh, and another one that's sort of been put out there, like, all rules are bad. We, we need to stop this and it's like, no, some some rules are good. So good rules are good and bad rules are bad. Um, so for instance, no killing people. I'm pretty comfortable with that rule. No stealing my stuff. Pretty comfortable with that rule. Um, there are other things which have sort of been around. And so all else equal, there are more jobs today than there have ever been. So I think there's about half a million different types of jobs in a developed first world country and there were for 400, 200 years ago. There are more things to do now versus 10 years ago. Um, there are also more rules than there have ever been. So all else equal, these rules have made things better, not worse. These rules allow more things to happen, not less things. But you see what they stop, not what they allow. To just give you one really tangible example, in the 50s, there were no speeding limits, there were no seat belts, and there were no drink driving laws. Now, there are speed limits in most places. You have to wear a seat belt, and you can't drink and drive. Do you know what? I think that's good. <laughs> and do you know what's <laughs> happened? Road deaths have gone down. So yeah, I can't just drive whatever speed I want, wherever I want. And so for, this is a rule. Like, yeah, good rules. But people are told, all rules bad. Like, you can't tell me to wear a mask. I'm like, well, you don't, you know, we can tell you not to kill people. <laughs> that's sort of okay. You know, we can tell you not to speed. You know, yeah, that's cool because my kid might get run over by some idiot drunk person, you know. <laughs> um, but then it's like, masks. No, civil liberties. So we need to do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I read something interesting the other day where they said, well, you should, um, you know, uh, what is it? Stupid problems require stupid solutions. So we should just tell those people <laughs> to, to wear those masks so that the, the evil Illuminati can't face recognize you with their 5G technology. <laughs> That's good, actually. But then you've got to try to be the change you want to see. Um, yeah. And so don't, like use the methods that Trump uses. Uh, you know, this, 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 so in effect, he's using like uh, weaponizing words uh, and he's, he's dividing. Um, so look, an example, is America having more civil unrest, protests and other things? Yes. Are there more extreme solutions like defund the police and other stuff? Now, I'm not saying that there couldn't be changes, but all those people, we want some police. If you didn't have any police, I think it would be not good, you know? Mm. Um, and so to me, you know, no one said this is easy, but we're slowly getting better, although it is a sort of up and down, um, you know, 
trajectory. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to remember that um, seminal advice for my children. Don't do what Trump does. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, oh. One of the things, he's one of the best entertainers. Um, I think, I remember seeing some of the late night shows um, saying, oh, Trump was walking down the sort of uh, ramp and he, and he was shuffling. And they're like, is he having health issues because he's old and because people are saying that Biden has health issues? And then he's at a rally and he's sending them up going, I've got flat leather bottom shoes. They're really slippery. You've got to go slowly. And he's pretending to do this. And so he's, in my opinion, a really good communicator, an amazing entertainer. It's just that he's using his communication skills to make things worse, to divide, to demonize. And he's entertaining so people want to watch. Like, I would argue that, I don't know, Hillary Clinton was not entertaining to watch. Um, and so it's annoying because he's good at being bad. He's really good at it. Mm. Well, um, I can't remember who, who said it, but it was, um, you know, democracy is the worst form of government, say, for every other form of governance. That's uh, Churchill. And then other people said that all quotes can be attributed to Churchill. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, because it, it plays back to this, you know, this ability to tap into one of the, um, you know, what were originally features in the brain, these instinctive, um, you know, proclivity to react to things in an emotional way can now be hacked by, you know, populist people who, who spin some very, very separatist or adversarial agenda um, to stir people up. And the other problem I have, well, the other problem I see with America is that it's totally optional to vote. So it's not like everyone has to go to the polls and actually um, you know, make a decision on which uh, representative do they feel more aligned with. It's really just, can you stir people to action to then come out and actually vote for you? Well, what's the easiest way to do that? Appeal to their emotion, not to their rationality. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's pros and cons to a lot of things. Um, it's, so uh, I don't know if we should get into the way that uh, political systems are structured. Uh, Australia is different to America, which is different to Germany, as an example. They're all democracies. I think there's pros and cons. I don't think there's one that's clearly better or worse than the other. One thing I thought I'd sort of say is that, um, again, like I think we're at a point of possibly hopefully lowest in 2016 election where the, the people did not realize about filter bubbles back then. People didn't realize that you could have, you know, the Russians hack an election. People didn't realize you could make custom, uh, you know, marketing for individual people that would push those buttons that James is talking about, emotional buttons to go and vote. And one way that we're sort of seeing this, it's regulation externally, but it's regulation internally. So regulation externally, it's like, well, you know, Facebook and they're having, you know, should they allow straight lies to be on their platform in advertising? To me, if it's advertised, they need to have a control over it. If it's someone just speaking, someone's paying for reach, then they should be sort of looking at it. If it's not paying, someone's speaking to their friend, then it's probably freedom of speech. Um, so it's a sort of different thing. But the other one is internal regulation, which people kind of call your truth muscle. Um, you didn't need to necessarily have a strong truth muscle prior to the internet because information was in a deficit. And the people that chose this, there was an ability to check it, like what's on TV. People could watch it and see if it was lies. And there was in regulation, you know, to, that you can't lie. Um, whereas now nobody can see everything that's made on the internet. So to me, some of it is well, Facebook getting better at not having filter bubbles and not allowing people to push straight lies. But it's also humans getting better. <laughs> um, and so to me, these should improve. And hopefully we get better at understanding, well, there is some fake news out there. You don't just trust everything. 
and that some of what you're eating is fake and you don't know. So you need to try to be a scientist about it. Mm. No, I, I think that's, you know, what the, the problem that we're, one of the problems we're arriving at today, this abundance of information. And like, for me, it's really, you know, because I am this, in, this single, single person who has only so many hours in a day to absorb information. Um, it's not just that uh, I feel like I'm receiving things that could be a potential threat to my identity. It's, well, what if I'm just receiving information from bad sources, like fake news? Or, you know, people who leverage a propaganda machine to alter what people think on an issue. So, like, this is what Tim Urban talked about with the King Mustache from Wait But Why. Uh, so, like, how do, you know, so how do we try and get this semblance of, like, well, not only do I need to be able to distinguish, you know, fact from fiction or facts from my own personal sense of identity, but I also have to be able to trust that where I'm getting this information from is reliable as well. Hmm. So one of the things I found is that you you listen to someone from the left and what they're saying makes sense. And you're, oh, yeah, yeah. And then you listen to someone from the right and what they're saying makes sense. Oh, yeah, yeah. But then you realize they talked about exactly the same thing and they've both said two totally opposing things. And you're like, oh, damn it. How is this possible? How can they <laughs> both make sense? And you know, uh, no. Uh, and so what I've sort of realized is that now I can't listen to one from the left without listening to one from the right. You've got to pick it. And so there was a period where I was listening to, seriously, mainly left stuff. And I ended up just becoming a mouthpiece for the people I was speaking to. I understood this and then I just regurgitated it. Um, and in hindsight, I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, this makes sense. And the other person, when they said, uh, and so from my perspective, I didn't know this. I wasn't trying to build a truth muscle. Um, and so it's really good fun. It's like, okay, if you listen to something from the left, like a late night show with whatever, Stephen Colbert, you have to balance that with something from the right, like, I don't know, Glenn Beck. Like, it's just, you can't do one. Doing one is invariably leading yourself to be biased. And I really had what I would consider to be a wildly undiverse, uh, you know, media consumption two, three, or especially 2016, four years ago, I, you know, I, I didn't even realize. Like, I, I, I thought I knew more about the world and had a better understanding. I had, in my opinion, the most biased view of the world I'd ever had. I knew mm. more about the world, but more detrimental information. Knowledge is power to do good and evil. No knowledge can't get into trouble. And I just really warped myself. Mm. Mm. The test of a first-rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposed ideas in mind at the same time and still re retain the ability to function. <laughs> Who's that? Is that Munger or Scott Fitzgerald? Um, wrote the I should probably F. Scott Fitzgerald. Yeah. F. So, F. but you said Scott Fitzgerald, not well, F. F. Scott Fitzgerald. Oh, yeah. F. Scott Fitzgerald. Sorry. Is it? Oh. <laughs> Francis Scott Fitzgerald. Yeah, well, I guess because I'm like, I've never heard of this Scott Fitzgerald before. Because it's like, but I'm F. Scott Fitzgerald. I don't know why <laughs> people say F. Scott Fitzgerald, but they do. Um, okay, I think he yeah. probably curated that identity for himself. Kind of like how so it just. How would you like people to refer to you? Like, something, you know, just James Peck or F. James Peck? It sounds a lot more authoritative. <laughs> <laughs> but it also, F. James Peck sounds a bit like the, the rude word, F. James Peck. You know? Yeah. F. Yeah, so uh, like I think this is a really good, um, you know, one strategy, which is what you talk about listening to the left and then to the right and holding these two opposed ideas in your head and mm -hmm. still retain the ability to function. Um, so like, I think that's a, that's, that's a really good um, approach to 
preventing yourself from going down into a single idea bubble or only hearing one uh, one particular view uh, because this kind of then gives you this semblance of like, well, we're in a world where there is no one single, um, you know, perception on an event or on a piece of data or a, a scientific uh, observation. There are multiple views that can be generated at the same time. Yeah. Um, to me, it's extraordinary fun. Um, so an, an example, and this is probably getting a bit deep, is the Koch brothers, um, uh, right-leaning, very wealthy, or now there's only one of them because one of them died. And uh, they fund a whole lot of um, different right-leaning things. And I've actually read Charles Koch's book. It is great. And I listened to him interviewed on... Uh, so I was fed things like, he's is an evil person doing evil things. I like, yeah, he's evil. It's really bad. And his you know, ability to fund stuff is really bad. And so I really had him up. And then I listened to his book and I'm like, God, this is a really good business book. Um, and I was thinking about, oh, that's lots of lessons to learn how to run a business. And he's built an extraordinary business. Uh, you can argue about whether their stuff in you know, fossil fuels is great, but it, I don't think it's, you can argue whether it's a good business or not. It's very valuable. It's done it's a good job. And then I remember listening to him interviewed on Tim Ferriss. And I was like, all right, giddy up. At the end of this, I'm going to really dislike this person. And I was all there barracking, you know, who am I going for? Not him. And at the end of it, I was like, I oh, know, I like him. I like him. This is really <laughs> annoying. And I was like, well, I've been told to hate him. I'm like, damn it. It would have been so much easier if I could hate you. But I just listened to what you say and it makes sense. And then the other side of this, so the left's um, Koch brothers is George Soros. Oh, just go say, have you read Yeah, Soros um, funds different things. And I was like, oh, Soros is great. He should be definitely funding these things. Um, He also happens to be of Jewish descent, which the right, you know, you use things. And so the right hold him up as their Koch brothers. And so I held up Soros as this great person who was doing good things that needed to happen and needed to spend more money. And the Koch brothers is these evil people who, the reason that money should not be involved in politics. And then I didn't realize my rank hypocrisy. Like, I was like, Mm. they should allow Mm. him to spend more. And so it took about two years ago, and I was like, oh, my God. The right's Koch brothers is Soros. I'm like, damn it! Because I like (laughs) Soros. You know, and I'm like, all right, somebody has been eating the bullshit that's being fed to him. (laughs) Somebody has been parroting whatever the bloody people have been saying. Somebody is not diverse. Um, They're like, oh, 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 oh. There's one of these moments, you're like, oh, God. Uh, The thing that I've been saying that is bad, I am. Like, uh, 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 try to try to get out of this bubble, get out of the bubble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very, yeah, it's a very similar thing where you 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 come through whether it's your school, your university, your group of friends, like you all feel like you're on the same page about things. That these people are good, those people are bad, uh, and you only have these self reinforcing mechanisms to um, you know to to support your way of thinking. And so when you're confronted with the actual idea, well, hold on. Maybe this person isn't like evil incarnate. <laughs> Maybe I have uh, just been blindly accepting what others have been t- telling me mm. and not actually being critical of myself. Um, now, dude, I'm sorry. I've got to make a, a stop now. I've got to move on to the next part of my day, but I still think we can make time for summary. All right. So my two cents here, um, you, you basically, from a politics perspective, hopefully don't pick a team. You need to be able to see why you should vote for the quote-unquote other team and what's good or bad. Whereas I used to be perhaps trying to see why I liked the ideas from this team and disliked the ideas from the other team. So as an example, I don't think I would vote for Bernie Sanders, but I would have voted for Hillary. Um, I don't think I'd vote for Bernie Sanders, but I'd vote for Biden. 
I don't think I'd vote for Trump, but I would have voted for Mitt Romney. I like, you know, in Australia, um, fan of Julia Gillard, not a fan of Rudd. Uh, fan of Malcolm Turnbull, not a fan of Tony Abbott. So those are sort of two things. And so, I, and I have voted left, right, left, right, sort of. And so I, I do think I've, ch- you know, changed teams. Well, I actually have changed teams. And so to me, I think that's interesting. Um, so basically, if you want to try to get out of your filter bubble, you've got to see, well, wh- why could I vote for the other team? Or what do I like about the other team? And if you can't name anything, we've got a problem. And if you say, well, there's no circumstances under ever which I would vote for the other team, we've got a problem. And I think they've just been dividing people all over the place. So, yeah. Yeah, I've I, I got a new slogan for you, Duncan. Instead of don't hate the player, hate the game, is don't um, like the player, don't like the game. <laughs> <laughs> this is the best thing I've ever heard, James. <laughs> like the player, um, don't like the game. There you go. Uh, well, that's, so but it, that's incredible. Um, but also <laughs> I think, like, no one's saying democracy is perfect, but can anyone name a better system? It's really mm. sucky. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, um, also, but like, also, how about this? Like the player and don't like the player. Like, I'm not a fan of Trump. I'll put it out there. Having said which, I think that what he has done to wake up the world to China being not great, and China was getting better until she came along, and she has made it worse. So they should have been a partner until she, and now they should be a, a competitor or a threat. And so, yeah, I don't know. I can like some politicians and not like others. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, um, you know, going back to where we first started, you know, human beings are not entirely rational uh, <laughs> people. Really? No, it would appear not. Uh, and so this <laughs> this comes back to this idea of what we consider to what we understand as motivated reasoning, which is to uh, rationalize any form of information, whether it be factual, database, scientific, uh, etc., um, to fit our current worldview or our identity. And so, like we these just play out. Um, in many different uh, systems or um, ways today, which is you know, things like the COVID-19 virus, political discourse, um, but also anything where, you know, you are, you're seeing people kind of like revert, revert back into more <laughs> um, conspiratorial thinking. Mm. Uh, and so I think there are, there are a number of ways in which we can help steer us out of this <laughs> In, in, you, you're uh, okay with words? Like the words? <laughs> trying to catch up with my brain here. Uh, anyway, so thinking of concentric circles is one. Like, am I thinking at the, uh, the self level, my tribal level, my political party level? What level of thinking is there here? Because there's hopefully another level you can go uh, upwards to, to to find a common goal or to find a way that doesn't have to conflict truth uh, with opinion or identity. Uh, hmm. And so the other one is like, well, you know, is this something where I am trying to just protect my own personal worldview? Am I thinking like a lawyer? Um, or can I think more like a scientist? And then the last part, which was like, can I at least hold two opposing views in my head and still retain the ability to function? I think that is definitely something that, as you pointed out, if you don't at least understand the other side or you can't, um, you know, I guess, repeat back their views in a way in which they will say like, yes, I agree. That is my current position. Then we don't have a full picture. And without a full picture, we're just going to, it would seem, continue down this path of just find information that reinforces our current worldview. Cool. Yeah. All right. Thanks, James. I will speak to you soon. Cheers, Doug. Speak to you later. All right.